Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So once we have the tape logged, it's selected, mood boards, storyboards, brain dump, we start actually building in tape, um, in Pro Tools, our audio, like the actual story. Um, Do not forget to take breaks, because I think the thing to know is that um, this can get really uh, exhausting. You're listening to Molly Webster, features producer and guest host for Radiolab. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from our live event. Here, Molly takes us through Radiolab's intense editorial process. It's what makes those incredible stories the show is famous for. I am Molly Webster. I work at Radio Lab. <laughs> Hi. Um, it's so cool to see everyone here. The energy in the lobby this morning was amazing. Uh, I do not have Twitter, but I have Radio Lab's handle. So you can use that if you want to. Uh, we are here to talk today about having 100 hours of tape and not being sure what to do with it, which is something that happens to me all the time. And so we felt like this would be, uh, like I would be appropriate in talking to you about this. Uh, This is me after a story that I did three years ago. As far as the tape goes, um, we, the, it's, I don't even know. Like, it's like, I'm just thinking that I have tape from like one of the reporters called like interview one, interview two, interview brain dump, interview Skype phone call. So I did a story uh, three years ago about international surrogacy. And I came out of that story with like, I had, it was in four different countries with three different languages. We had surrogates, we had 30 Uh, surrogacy agencies that we had talked to. We had two stringers in India and Nepal. The tape was bananas. Um, But then it's not even just about having a lot of tape. Sometimes you just have really, really long interviews. Um, I recently found myself in situations, I did a story for Radiolab about a new form of digital money that launched. And I got into this situation where I couldn't do an interview under three hours. I don't know what happened. Like, they just, it, like the assistant started saying to me, um, the assistant started saying to me that they wouldn't book anything shorter than three hours because it was a really detailed topic and everyone needed to talk about it. And that's what, and this is what these, those interviews started sounding like. Can I pee? Yes, please. <laughs> I mean, you outlasted me by like an hour. If we're going to pee, I'm going to pee. I need to take a... Bio break. Did you touch your toes? Everyone peed. We got water. This studio is pretty like hot boxy. Um, I really was glad that we spent like three hours or whatever we did just talking about the nature of money. I thought that was a really good start. <laughs> yeah, we did it. We made it. Wait, no, you're not done. Wait, 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 wait. He no, but how does he? Wait, let me just be, let me just let me just. We have to wrap. So you can hear at the end there. Um, Jad doesn't even have words. <laughs> uh, we, didn't even, we didn't even know what to say. And so this talk is about, um, I'm going to walk you through Radiolab's process and a couple of uh, Molly Webster trademark process points. You can take any of them. You can take one of them. They work if you're solo. They work if you're in a group. Uh, so the very first thing you need to do when you start getting all that tape is that you need to organize it. 
Um, and I would say, uh, do not wait to the end of gathering tape to start organizing it. And I say that for a couple of reasons, because as you start going through your tape, it will actually help you realize what reporting you still need to do. If there are holes in the story, it will reveal nuances that you hadn't actually heard when you were originally doing the interview. So what does it mean to log or to, to organize tape? The first thing you need to do is you need to log it. Uh, logging it is essentially you make a rough transcription or an exact transcription of your interview or if you went out into the fields of what that scene looked like, um, whether it's 30 minutes or four hours of an interview. Uh, you can Radiolab logs in two different ways. We log into documents, so like we'll take a Google Doc, we'll listen to the tape as it goes and you're just like typing in and putting a timestamp like every 30 seconds. The other way we log is sometimes directly into Pro Tools, which is the editing software we use. And so we'll actually almost like think if you have an hour-long interview, we will divide it roughly into 30-second chunks and you can type directly into the clips. And then the logging follows that clip wherever you move it in tape, so it's actually quite convenient. So step one is logging. The second thing that we do with all of our tape, sometimes concurrently with logging, is something called selects. And selects is basically taking a very long interview, um, or even a 30-minute long interview, and boiling it down to its essence. And that usually involves uh, two different ways of thinking. One of them is, why did you talk to this specific person? So you're boiling down the tape to sort of the, the editorial essence of what did this person give you during the interview? Are they the historian that's going to explain the history? Did they give you the science bit? Did they explain the money bit, right? So you, you boil it down to something of a beginning, middle, and end that only this person provided you with. It was as if you were going to publish this as a two-way on the radio tomorrow, sort of what is the best representation of that interview. The other thing that you look for when you're doing selects uh, in, in the radio lab sphere is, is hot tape. And it can be hot tape that has nothing to do with why you're doing the interview. It could be that your interview subject really likes skateboarding. And somehow in the middle of the interview on economics, they started talking about skateboarding, and it's really interesting, and it reveals something about them and who they are, and you leave some of that back and forth in there. Or it could be something that's not revealing necessarily about the character of the person, but the tone of the interview. So I did an interview with a pharmaceutical rep uh, a few years ago that was tense. Um, we were talking about the cost of drugs. And so when I did the selects, I left some of that tenseness in there so everyone could feel it and we could decide like how we wanted to use it in the final piece, if at all. And the whole point of selects is no one has time to keep listening to all of your interviews, <laughs> your, yourself or your editor. And so you, you bring it down to a smaller amount of tape that then you can listen to a lot. You can listen to a lot. This is me at Radiolab. We all listen in very different ways. I strike child's pose often because I get distracted by people. Uh, my desk is also like right on a hallway and, and the, near the printer and everyone talks to me. Um, so I hide. There's a lot of like desk hiding. Soren Wheeler, our editor, takes walks and listens to audio. 
uh, a lot. Jad will stand at his desk and sort of not face his computer and stare off into the distance and listen to audio. And the point is, is that you're going to make a better piece if you understand all of the tape that you have, right? Um, the other thing that I think, this is a, this is a personal Molly thing, not a, not a necessarily Radiolab thing, is note cards. I get, uh, I think things get lost in computers. Like I, I will make lists and organize and then everything's just in black and white and really flat and I'm sitting at my desk very rigidly like not interfacing with the screen and I, I don't do well with it. So I like to get things out of the computer and put them on paper. And so this is, wait, I think I have, yes. Uh, this is uh, the note cards that I did for surrogacy. And just to quickly tell you what they are, the interview, the characters are in green, right? So Tal and Amir were the couple that were using the surrogates. And Maya and Yosh were at uh, Israel Story and they were reporting in Israel for us. So we did interviews with them. So I put all of my characters out in green cards. And then I use the pink cards. Uh, I go through a lot of these note cards. I use the pink cards to show what has been done with the tape. Has logging been done? Was it translated? Did selects get done? And so on. And the yellow cards are like, alert, alert. This thing needs to get done. And then the orange was um, characters that weren't people. So I knew that statistics was going to take a really important role in the story. And so I didn't want to forget about what was happening with that. So that's stats. I also knew we needed a place to stand, which was going to serve as its own character, like a surrogacy house. And I didn't want that to be forgotten. Um, and then I will often use note cards uh, in like when I'm starting to build the story to put like main ideas on them and spread them out. Okay, and then maybe you've got something. You probably do have something, but you're really just not sure. And so I welcome you with joy to Maybe Land. <laughs> um, maybe Land is a place that we all stand most of the time. It's very rare that you're either in Go Town or just say no. What is it? The Sea of No over here? Um, so this is an exercise that Radiolab did a few months ago where we were basically like, why do our stories either get stuck or what are things that we struggle with when we're starting to build and do reporting? And so we decided that we would just put it all out and recognize that it is a place that we stand um, that has certain geographic area. And so we came up with things like um, there's, this, there's the SSS no tape perhaps your uh, main character has died and you don't know what to do, or maybe no one will talk to you. Uh, there's, wait, where's the bog of self-doubt? <laughs> I, I stand there quite often. Um, there's No Hook Bay, which is, you are interested in this story, but you have no idea why. Um, also, No Resources Desert, which is somewhere in here. You're probably going to feel that a lot if you're, especially if you're working solo or if you're working like on a startup. And so we use this now to kind of have a language to understand like what's happening uh, with our pieces. And um, our ideal is that you get out of maybe land 
and you get to go town, or what I keep calling S-town. No, yes-town. I was really proud of that radio joke. I didn't even mean to do it, but when I was thinking about this speech, I kept writing it, and I kept writing S-town. I was like, no, yes-town. I want to get to yes-town. Um, so... You have collected your tape. You've navigated maybe land. You've made a bad radio joke. What happens next? Uh, we have the Radio Lab and Molly Webster trifecta, which is the storyboard, the mood board, and the doodle. Um, so we'll start with the storyboard. Uh, I'm glad this screen is big. So the storyboard is a Radio Lab institution. Uh, I learned how to do them like day three of working at Radiolab and have been trying to perfect ever since. But it's basically an outline of your story. But it's not an outline like with bullet points, it's an outline with attitude. It has like the tone of the piece and it starts striking the feeling of what you want the piece to be. But even if you're doing an hour long radio show about you know digital money, your storyboard is like four pages long. And the idea of the storyboard is to serve, when you start getting lost in like tons of tape and very, very long scripts, to just serve as what any outline does, just a reminder of where you started, where you're at, and where you're going. And it's also a place where you really start capturing tone and start practicing that like radio writing. So one of the things to think about is like, just when you look at this, there's no paragraph that's longer than like three sentences. Most of them are only one. So you're getting yourself used to like boiling down information, writing at a faster pace, these types of things that work well in radio. Um, the other thing to notice is like right here, it just says this is, so this is an actual storyboard. This is page one of the storyboard for the crypto story that I was telling you about. The, I call it crypto, but it was the digital currency, cryptocurrency. And so the main character, uh, one of them is this uh, woman, Morgan. And so you'll see here that like, I don't, I just says intro Morgan. I know I want her to come in somewhere. I don't get bogged down in like what tape I want to intro her with, or I'll find that out later once I start digging into tape. This is just so we can all agree on a structure and some sort of pacing. And the thing to know is this is not a script. I would never get into the studio and like, read these three lines, somehow get to hot ceremony tape, which I will point out we actually didn't have, and then, and then read this line and then go into Morgan. It's really just an idea of, of structure. And the other thing I wanna say is this one page ended up being 14 minutes of tape. It was a 14 minute part of our build. And this one line, it's appropriately highlighted, I don't know how that happened, is um, ended up being like a two minute intricately built scene about the history of Bitcoin with like sound of Wall Street crashing and everyone stealing our money and people being really mad about it. Um, that is not represented here. <laughs> uh, but the idea that we want that represented in the story is there. So that's what we use a storyboard for. The next thing that we do is the mood board. Um, this is a specific mood board. This is my mood board for the cryptocurrency story. And the point of the mood board is to get you out of audio 
and to get you out of thinking about words. And it's to get you thinking about how it makes you feel and to let you have a space to search your brain for the other things that are happening in there when it thinks about the story, other than like audio and um, specific like words you need to write. Okay, so the idea of the mood board is just that. What is the mood of the piece? What are the colors? How does it feel? Do you have certain imagery in your head, like as you've been researching it and reporting it? And this is an interesting thing because whenever it comes up, everybody always asks me, um, well, do you use that just for you? Or do you use that because you work on a team? And I think about it and I think, I think if, if I was working solo, I would do this just for myself. Because what it makes me realize is um, metaphors and analogies I'm thinking of and things like that. So to be more specific, um, so Bitcoin, that's kind of obvious, it's not that abstract. But the reason that I put the Bitcoin thing in there is because it's kind of ugly and the colors are pretty flat and it reminds me of like the gaming world. And I thought, oh, this could be interesting for thinking about like sound design and music. Like what's in here is some sort of like video gamey, uh, I don't even know how video games sound. If anyone has a Mario Brothers sound, like ding, 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 like I don't know. Um, and then so I was thinking about like, oh, I want someone to think about that. Even though the story is not about Bitcoin, there's a lot in that image. And then the merry band of wizards is the fact that when they launched this currency, they launched it in three different, or six different secret locations, and they were all headed by one really smart security person, uh, all dudes. And there was the main guy, Zuko, who I thought of as Gandalf, and that he was leading his merry band of wizards to launch this currency, and the wizards you don't really know them that well. They're just like disembodied heads. And so, I, so when we were building the story, I realized like I don't need to get to know these five other characters. I just want them to like pop in and pop out and sort of embrace that disembodied head thing. Um, so here's a bit of tape that is actually connected with the, with the ring story. So you can kind of hear how a mood board translates into actual audio. Okay, so you've got one key broken into six pieces, and the next step is to get all of those pieces to work together to create one thing, which is Zcash. And you wanna do this in such a way that those pieces never touch each other, that they remain hidden so that no person could ever get their hands on the power of the whole key. So that was, um, I realized that I was actually thinking about Lord of the Rings a lot in this piece, and it was very helpful to know that because I could talk about it. I finally had words and a metaphor for what was actually happening. Um, like, it's, su it's super complicated, but basically they need to create like a really large secret number, and if anyone got their hands on the number, they could rule anything, and if that doesn't sound like mortar, I don't know what does. Um, and so this is uh, a piece of audio that kind of came out of the idea of, does, does, of um, you guys remember this? Stakeout, the buddy comedy about stakeouts? Okay. Um, I remembered this. And, uh, and so this is how uh, buddy comedy stakeout inspired, uh, inspired the piece. Was there a, like a, a titter in the air? Uh, no. 
<laughs> I mean, it really, it's Do you bring a deck of cards? I brought juggling balls. Cool. I can juggle three balls. That's what I brought. Yeah, they can juggle. So that was like the idea was is that in the middle of all this like crazy wizardry and super high tech security math that we needed to explain, we wanted to remember to like keep in the joy and the feeling that the, all these people were trapped in a room just like eating donuts and drinking coffee while trying to create a currency that could take over the world. And so, you know, we put in those joyful moments. Okay, so storyboard, mood board, last thing. Uh, this is something I do, which is I realized that in my mind, every story has a shape. And that shape is sort of crucial to the structure, the, en the, the sort of editorial structure at the end of the story. So this is the shape for um, a story I did about a transgender gondolier. This is the shape of a story that I did about growing embryos in a lab called The Primitive Streak. This is the shape for the crypto story that I've been talking about. And just to explain it slightly and how something like this might help you think about what you're doing with your story is that um, if you look at the four-sided quadrangle, is that right? I think that's right. Um, <clears throat> that's the actual launch of this currency. They get into a hotel room, they shut the door, they do a bunch of math, and then the currency is done. So from like... This is like my main narrative. But what I realized was to get to that four-sided object, I had to do this like long, skinny driveway, uh, which was, remember that guy saying in tape, I'm really glad we talked for three hours about the meaning of money? Um, I realized I had to do something like that in my story, which was 14 minutes of setup to get me to the actual narrative I wanted to talk about. And what I also realized is that there were two things in the story that were pretty equal, which is like, we're trapped in this room and we're doing high security measures. So we're pulling desks away from doors, we're like looking for microphones on the other side of walls, and then we're doing a bunch of math. And those two kind of hold equal measure. This slanted part is, um, I was thinking like the Pythagorean theorem, like the angle is the most important part of the triangle. And so the slanted part is when the uh, security has been breached and someone hacks in to the launch of the ceremony. And that's like super important to the story. It introduces all the main ideas of privacy and privacy being something that's shared. And so it's a bigger chunk of the drawing than the other two sides. And then finally, uh, this part, is just we needed to end it. Like once the ceremony, once the currency is launched, there's really not that much to say. And uh, so that's just short and sweet and it locks everything back up again. So this is something that I do on my own and I also talk to my team about. Um, and we've all found it pretty useful in thinking about like proportions in the story and what to spend time on and like what to move away from. And then we do the brain dump. I guess I was just thinking I should probably tell you just the um, Morgan and I backstory of, yes. of how I heard about the story. Cool. So Morgan and I went to grad school together at NYU, so I guess I've known her for almost 11 years. Okay. So the brain dump is something I had never heard of until I got to Radio Lab uh, 
I don't even, we might have even named, I've been there for five years. I feel like the name might have come about in the last five years. But it's literally a moment where you go into the studio with Jad, sometimes Jad and Robert, as the reporter, uh, as the producer, and you tell them, or if we're working with like an outside reporter, they come in and do this, and they tell you everything they know about the story. And so it's like, um, I would get into a studio with Jad and I would just go, okay, well, I would almost cycle all the way back to when I first pitched the story or came up with it. And I would just walk him through like, uh, this is how I got into this. This is why I thought it was exciting. These are the people I met along the way. Um, these are things that made me think about. This is how I feel now. And you just literally tell them about your reporting as if um, your editors have never heard anything about your reporting. And you have this conversation back and forth. Now this could be, um, I've done this when I've gone out in the field and I've come back and I'll just get in the studio with them and take 20 minutes and just tell them about what that reporting out in the field experience was like. We always do it right before we really start building the story when we've gotten a chunk of our reporting done, if not all of it. And you get into the studio and you just say everything you can think of about the story. And we use that brain dump it becomes the spine of our story. It becomes like the narration in the story. So we actually don't write a lot of our scripts. A lot of them are improv and they're improv in this way that like, it's just really what comes out of our brains. And we can move the brain dump around. We don't have to use it in the order that it comes out of us in, but it's actually also quite informative in helping you understand what you think the structure of the story might be of the final build, because you're, you think, oh, I actually said it to you in this order, and on paper, I was drawing it out in this order. Maybe it actually makes more sense organically. The way the story wants to be told is the way I told it just of my own accord. Um, and so when I say it becomes the spine of the story, I find the brain dumps really interesting, both working solo and in a group. Because if it's, you're solo, you could brain dump with a friend. It doesn't have to be very long. Even if you're working on a 24-hour news cycle and you have to turn something around fast, you could do a 15, I've, I've had people do 15 minutes um, in a studio with their editor on a piece that they need to have come out the next day. Um, and it keeps a conversational tone. It often brings up stuff that you wouldn't write on paper. You, uh, you know, I remember in my story that I did about growing embryos in the lab, kind of the crux of the story becomes this weird place where you stand where you really, really want to have these embryos that have become like characters grow in the lab. And they grow one more day, and they grow one more day, and they grow one more day. And then you get to this point where you're like, oh, they're going to hit so many days and be kind of big, and I'm going to start to feel funny. Like, like, you get to a point where you're like, how many days do I want this thing to grow in a lab? And that was something that we had never talked about on paper or had really come up in interviews. It was just something that was sitting somewhere in my brain that in a conversation with Jad came out. Uh, and so we will often use brain dumps just to, like, straight up to create parts of the piece. And so for that crypto piece, the whole top of the piece, the first minute, the intro to the piece, um, ended up being straight, just like pulled straight from our brain dump. And you heard a little part of it, but this is what it sounds like. 
Okay. And we're, we're, we're holed up in my apartment. I don't know, this was like no, last November or something. She comes over, um, she's sitting on the giant, I have a big floor pillow, like a Turkish floor pillow. Of course she's, you do. She's sitting, on, she's sitting on the floor pillow. And then she is like, are you ready to hear the story? And I said, yeah. And she's like, okay, I need you to take the battery out of your phone. Really? Yeah. And That's I was, what she really said that? And I was like, what? I have an iPhone. I can't take the battery out of it. And she goes, okay, uh, I need you to power it down and put it in another room under a pillow. What? I was like, what is going on? And, she, <laughs> and then by this point, she's taking the battery out of her phone. So I, I do it. Mm-hmm. I put it in, the, in my bedroom and I put it under pillows and I turned it off. I came back, I sat down. And then um, she starts telling me essentially about the ceremony. So that was the intro to our piece and that's exactly what I said to Jad in the studio. So once we have the tape logged, it's selected, mood boards, storyboards, brain dump, we start actually building in tape, um, in Pro Tools, our audio, like the actual story. So the first thing we do is a string out. I'll just go through this really quick, which is um, you lay out the audio in the order of the storyboard. It's really rough chunks. There's no uh, scratch tracks. You use the brain dump. You weave in and out with your audio interviews. There's no sound design. There's no music. It's really just to start getting things in an order and hear how it sounds and if we think everything is roughly in the right order. So that's just called a tape string out. We literally string smaller clips of tape together. In the middle of all of this, you will get into iterative, iterative, iterative drafts, and we're about to do a small exercise in which we're gonna listen to three different drafts of something, and you can hear, and we talk a little bit about how it changes. Um, do not forget to take breaks, because I think the thing to know is that um, this can get really uh, exhausting. <laughs> Jan. Yes. Will you eat that protein bar? Sure. I'm in it to win it. I'm sorry, I just, I think I am getting like tired of dropping things, but. You need to eat some bar. I mean, I can order up, you know, chicken noodle soup for us when we need it, guys, seriously. Anyway, I think we got off track, but. Um, no, 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 we're fine, are you kidding me? Yeah, this is like, the, this is normal for us. I get, definitely, that's why I brought bars. Okay. Yeah, now you're totally ready to start going. Uh, so you draft, and so we're gonna listen to uh, three different cuts of the same minute of a story from like an early inception to a middle inception uh, to the final inception. Uh, the story is from uh, something that I did called Bringing Gamma Back, which was a story where a scientist at MIT was shooting light through eyeballs into an Alzheimer's uh, adult brain and they were finding that the light pulses into the eyeballs was improving the outcome of the mouse patients. But for our purposes today, we're gonna really focus in on neurons. A neuron is a kind of a cell? It is, it's a brain cell. We have billions of neurons. They look spider web-ish, and they have these long, skinny, skinny tentacles that come out of them. And for the brain to function, neurons have to communicate with each other to process information. And the way they communicate is an electrical signal will go through them and it'll like zap. 
another neuron and it'll turn it on and then it'll, like an electrical signal will go through it and it'll zap another neuron and it'll turn it on. And with all this zapping, this firing at each other, they make us think and remember. So if you're recalling like the moment when you kissed Ralph for the first oh, time, Ralph. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So then it, when you think about that kiss that certain neurons that are connected in a path to certain other neurons will all go and that will be the kiss. And that will be the kiss. Just a chain reaction of little electrical pulses. And these neurons, they can fire at different speeds. So sometimes they're firing at like 100 times a second, like And then other times they could be firing at one time a second, like And they can fire sort of randomly. Or if they're being very good, efficient little neurons, they fire together. So to illustrate this, imagine a huge football stadium. And we're going to let you imagine that football stadium because that is what a minute got us to. And so uh, I'm just going to point out a couple of things so we can listen to the next version and sort of compare them. But one, who the hell is that person, that, that, that female voice that popped up in the middle, um, that is, or at the beginning? That's my uh, co-producer, Annie McEwen. Uh, she's one of the stellar, stellar sound designers at Radiolab. Uh, and she was working with me on this piece to bring sections of it forward. And so she'll go in, and any other producer, if you're paired with someone, will go in with you, and um, they'll suggest, uh, if, if there's not something in the brain dump that they can use, they'll suggest uh, scripting and narration. And one of the things I noticed in that piece is, in this version, and, and I edited back to Annie, was that there's a lot of Annie, which probably means that I didn't talk about this much in the brain dump, which probably means that we didn't actually realize in the brain dump that we'd need mo as many details as we're actually gonna need for the build. And so maybe it would make sense for me to go back in the studio and do some more brain dumping. Um, and then the other thing to know is what we're trying to do in this section is a lot, which is explain what a neuron is, explain how it fires, that they often fire in weird patterns, and that the pattern that is most important for our story is gamma. We did not get to gamma at all in that minute. Uh, we were at a football stadium metaphor uh, that actually goes on for another minute before we get to sort of like the final thing we're trying to get to. So this is what maybe five drafts later sounded like. Another neuron, and it'll turn it on, and then it'll, like an electrical signal will go through it, and it'll zap another neuron, and it'll turn it on. But the key thing, says Li Wei, is that when your brain is doing things like making you move or thinking a thought, groups of neurons fire in sync. They fire all together at the same beat. Now, at any given time, some groups of neurons may be firing slow, and some of them may be firing fast. And some might just be off doing their own thing. And when your brain is doing something really tricky... Attention, working memory, and, and so on. Like trying to find your way home from the subway station, or if you're in a new city, you know, navigate around it. There's a certain beat that sort of rises above them all the so-called gamma frequency. This range between 30 to 100 beats per second. And this gamma frequency has been uh, considered to be very important for the higher order uh, cognitive function. Okay, so this draft sounds a lot different than what we just came through. And a couple of things to think about. 
who's that guy in the middle of all of this? <laughs> that guy is our editor, Soren Wheeler. So he, at some point, jumped in and took these two minutes and gave them a once-over in Pro Tools. We are a very collaborative team. Things get shared around a lot, uh, which is great if you're working on a team. If you're not working on a team, if you're working solo, uh, the way you can sort of get the same added benefit is to have uh, friends trusted advisors, lifts into drafts of your stories and give feedback and you can push them further and further along. Um, one of the things to notice is we now actually did it. We got from introducing what a neuron was to actually getting to gamma in one minute. It's a lot tighter. And one of the reasons that happened was because I realized when I heard Annie doing a lot of, this, uh, a lot of the narration in the first time that I needed to say more and I didn't quite know what I needed to say. So I actually went back and did a lot more reporting on this very specific thing between these drafts. So I was able to provide language and go into the studio again and talk more precisely about the thing that was happening. And so it cut time way down. And the um, examples that I start using, like navigating when you get off the subway, it all starts becoming like more specific. So if you think about, you know, do I need to report more? Do I need to try and brain dump some more? Um, you just start trying to notice what's happening in your pieces uh, so you can start taking that 100 hours of tape and just like fleshing it out and really putting it together in ways, ways that make sense. Um, you also hear the music and sound design is becoming more cohesive. We're really identifying the neurons by that rattlesnake sound and you feel that the whole thing actually starts getting like a techno vibe, um, which was something that we talked about and also came out of the mood board. And I will say that when I look back on all this stuff, this seems straightforward, right? I remember someone once telling me, a journalism professor, uh, telling me that when you look back, everything seems like it happens in a straight line. But when you're doing the thing, it's really like there's a hundred paths and maybe like a rock you tripped over and a giant chasm and like something you might fall off of. Um, and so in the middle of all this, you might find that you go back to maybe land and you get stuck in like the abstract mountains. Um, you might uh, have self-doubt. I generally start to um, like descend into sort of chaos in look. Like, I think my hair just gets bigger and bigger. I shower less. My shirts have holes in them. One of Annie, when we were working on this gamma piece, was just like, every day, it's just like new big pants and a different top. Like, it's just a rotating outfit of just like big pants. Um, and I often wonder, like, oh, God, is someone going to listen to this draft and be like, why did we hire her? Um, so these are all very normal things to think. Uh, but just push on <laughs> and you, you will eventually get to your final draft. An electrical signal will go through them and it'll like zap another neuron and it'll turn it on and then it'll like an electrical signal will go through it and it'll zap another neuron and it'll turn it on. But the cool thing is, is that when your brain is doing things like making you move or write a poem or think great thoughts, groups of neurons fire in sync all together on the same beat. And there's a bunch of different beats that happen in the brain. Some of them are slow, like one beat per second, and that's when you're sleeping. If you're beating around 10 beats per second, like uh, maybe you're sitting next to a campfire in an Adirondack chair, 
Or on like the totally other end of the spectrum, like some neurons fire at 600 beats per second. What are they doing? That, that I have no idea. I just... And all this is going on in your head simultaneously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the cool thing is that when all of these beats in your brain come together, that's when you're able to process the world and understand it as it exists as human beings. So that was the final uh, draft of that section. That's actually what went out on air. And I love that little rattlesnake sound at the end. That was, that was uh, Annie, I think, put that in. Um, so those are basically ideas on how you can get from 100 hours of tape to a final version. Probably not all applicable, but maybe you can just choose one of them. Um, and then when you get to the very, very end, you shower, shave, and sleep. Um, <laughs> And if I could recommend, maybe that's the thing you walk away with, is just you're going to descend into chaos, but at the end, <laughs> you're going to come out of it, you go out to dinner, it's going to be fine. Um, yeah, so that's it. Thanks. <laughs> That's Molly Webster speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. <laughs>